It amazes me how my perspective changes the older I get. When I was growing up, I tended to think that the glass was really half full instead of half empty. If my mom or dad said they were taking us for ice cream, I never once doubted the sincerity or truthfulness of that statement. Likewise, if I heard that dreaded phrase, wait until your father gets home, I didn't doubt the sincerity of that statement either. But the older I got and the more I was disappointed by those in authority over my life, the more I I started to doubt the sincerity and truthfulness of their statements. It was, I was certainly less certain of what the future held for me. And that was especially true if the one who made promises to me did not deliver on their promises. And I believe that's true for most of us here today. It's hard. It is hard to keep believing promises as the trials and tribulations mount up in our lives. But this is when our faith and trust in God's promises is really put to the test, isn't it? Not when things are going great. Not when everything's going your way. But when things get tough. When the trials and the tribulations just seem to be stacking one on top of the other. Well, this morning we want to continue to look at this issue of faith and waiting for God as we take another look into the life of Abraham as our example. Except this time we're going to look at Abraham and specifically Sarah and her life and her faith. And so we want to see that despite the trials and tribulations, which they had many, they brought some they brought upon themselves, counted him who made the promises faithful. Despite all the trials and tribulations, some God allowed, some they just did to themselves. But despite all of that, they counted the one who had made them promises to be faithful. Abraham knew God. He knew that the one who made the promise would keep his promise. And Sarah also demonstrated that kind of faith when she judged him faithful who had promised. Now, how were Abraham and Sarah able to remain faithful each day, despite the long wait for the fulfillment of God's promises? And then, of course, the numerous difficulties in their lives. Abraham and Sarah were faithful in the present because of the confidence in what God would do in the future. Let me tell you that again. Abraham and Sarah were faithful in the present because of their confidence in what God would do in the future. And that's an important principle we want to remember as we walk through the life of Abraham and Sarah. Now, just to give us a reminder again of where we're at, remember that the entirety of this chapter 11 springs from the end of chapter 10, verses 38 and 39. And it's those two verses that the author reminds his listeners. Remember, the righteous ones live by faith. That's what this whole chapter is about, living your life by faith. And then, of course, in verse 39, uh, this is right after his, the fourth warning passage. After warning them against falling away to destruction, he says in verse 39, We are not of those who shrank back to destruction, but we are of those who have faith in the persevering of the soul. 
He's, he's encouraging them. He's saying, hey, you can do this. I've seen what you've done in the past. I just scared the stuffing out of you in the warning passage and reminded you what happens if you make a profession of faith and then fall away, that you weren't sincere. You just did that kind of hoping to have a foot in each world, if you will, and make sure you're safe. Kind of get out of hell free card, if you will. You want to keep it in your purse or your wallet just in case it's true. And the author of Hebrews really challenges them on that and says, listen, that's not going to cut it. Because God knows your heart. And if you make this profession of faith, and then as soon as the heat gets turned up in your life, you fall away and go back. Fall away from your profession of faith. There is a strict judgment that awaits you, not by angels, but by God himself. So he wants to remind them that God is not playing. God takes us very serious. But he says, you're not of those. I've seen your faith in action. I know that your profession of faith is true. I believe in my heart that you are true believers. See that end in Hebrew 11. Again, Hebrew chapter 11 is one big illustration of saint after saint after saint after saint who lives their life by faith, who have trials and tribulations in their life, but they persevere. They never fall away. They hang in there. As a matter of fact, when things get toughest is when they seem to grow the most. And they cling to their faith as an example of persevering faith. And he gives us a description of what that's supposed to look like. This isn't faith in faith. This is faith. And he gives a description of it and it says what? In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. I am assured that what I hope for is true. And then the second part of this, it's the conviction of things yet unseen. What does that mean? That means I live my life in the reality of the truth of the assurance of the things that I hope for. My life my life, as I live it out each day, is a testimony of the faith I have in the Lord Jesus Christ and the promises that he has made to me. I live each day in the present with the assurance that his promises are true, that he cannot deny himself. And if he said it, it is as good as done. And whether I see this in my lifetime or not doesn't change the fact that it is true. And so I live every day like that with the conviction that these things are true. My friends, it's difficult to live out your faith every day when you see little to no progress in the things that you're hoping God would do. There's a real temptation for many of us to start to lose hope, to have some serious doubts about our faith, and even to try to take matters into our own hands to bring about our desired outcome. Oh, God's not moving fast enough. Or God just doesn't seem to be hearing me. I'll just do this and kind of speed things along. And the longer you have to wait, the more difficult it is to remain faithful and to wait upon God to move in his perfect time. And beloved, God's time is always perfect. Always perfect. So to that end, remember in verse 8, we gave you three points last week. 
Verse 8, point number 1. Living by faith means obeying God's call without knowing where it will lead. Remember Abraham? God called Abraham and said, hey, you need to get going. We said he obeyed while he was going. Right? He had already. I'm going, Lord. The faith and obedience are inseparable in man's relationship to God. And we looked at passage after passage that demonstrated that God says, your faith should be demonstrated by your obedience. And by that, I mean that true faith, saving faith, persevering faith is always manifested by our obedience. We cannot say that we love God or have faith in God and then disobey God. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I mean, we looked at passage after passage. This is the first one that came to mind this morning. Point number two in verse nine, we said living by faith means waiting on God to keep his promises. So here's Abraham, God's promises never seen by him in his life. He never owned any land. He wandered through Israel, uh, through Canaan as a tent dweller, but never abandoned his faith in the future promise. God said, this is the land, the promised land. Oh, by the way, that six foot passage, that's yours, but you're going to have to buy it. And that'll be for the burial of your wife. He never saw that fulfillment in his life. But this is the challenge of persevering faith, isn't it? To remain faithful day by day as we wait for God to fulfill his promises, just like Abraham. He didn't give up hope. He continued in faith. He continued to wait upon the promises of God. And then lastly, in in verse 10, we saw point number three last week. Living by faith means never taking your eyes off heaven. Never taking your eyes off heaven. So Abraham could wait in the land of Canaan, wandering all those years, living in tents, never truly truly seeing the fulfillment of all of God's promises. How could he do that? Because he had his eyes set on the heavenly city. Not one built by human hands, but one whose architect was God. That's where he kept his focus. He waited upon the fulfillment of God's promises, even though he faced trial after trial and waited and waited and waited, as you're going to see today. And even though he's wandering like a nomad, living in tents with no actual physical claim to the promised land, and he did that all because his eyes were focused on God's promises in the future and not on the temporary satisfaction the world had to offer him today. Well, that brings us to our text here this morning in verse 11. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, ask him to bless our time together in his word. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, again for your wonderful truth, the way it pierces our very soul. Lord, thank you again that your word can encourage us, it can build us up, it can edify us, it can also exhort us, admonish us, sometimes even rebuke us, Lord. We praise you for your word. We praise you for your son. We thank you, Lord, that we can gather here together this morning and open up your truth and then learn about you, Lord, and then apply it to our lives in a way that brings you glory. That's our heart's desire here this morning. Lord, be with us now as we walk through your word. In Christ's name we pray. So let's look at verse 11, shall we? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. By faith, 
Even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. Here's point number one in your notes this morning in verse 11. Persevering faith remains in God's promises even during seasons of doubt. Persevering faith remains in God's promises even during seasons of doubt. Now, I want you to know that in verse 11, if you might have a different translation than what I read here today, and that's because sometimes scholars have a hard time reconciling what's going on with Sarah and her faith based on what we know about Sarah from Genesis. We're going to look at that in a minute. Some people believe that we're talking about Abraham's faith, not Sarah's faith here. Some folks believe that Sarah could not possibly be the subject here because she did not demonstrate faith when she was told that she would conceive a child in her old age. So we must be talking about Abraham here. So let's look at this account in Genesis to see if we can get some more context for our verse this morning. So keep your place in Hebrews chapter 11 and go back to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. Chapter 15 is where we want to pick it up. Genesis chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Verse 2. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham, and Abram said, Since you have given no offering, offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens. And count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. So here we see that God promised Abraham a son in Genesis. And then in verse 2, Abraham shares with God what's really bothering him with a little bit of pride. Verse 3 then, Abraham has no heirs, and he suggests that his servant Eliezer could solve this problem, is I'll just kind of adopt him into my family. He can have offspring. Your promises will be fulfilled. Here's the translation. God, it doesn't look like your promise of descendants is going to happen. So I'm going to recommend a solution that I could do on my own to take care of this problem. Verse 4 and 5, God reassures Abraham that his promises will come true despite this long period of waiting. And then we read in verse 6 of Genesis 15, then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. He, He credited it to him, his faith, as righteousness. Now fast forward 10 years. Remember, Abraham was 75 years old when God called him to the land, uh, the promised land. He didn't know where he was going yet. Now, fast forward 10 years to Genesis chapter 16. 
verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. And after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband as his wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. So we see fast forward 10 years, and we see that Sarah has given up on this promise of God. I know you said your descendants will be as many as the stars, but she's 10 years younger than him. He is 86. She's 76. She waits 10 years, right? She waits 10 years from 66 to 76. No children. 10 years. 10 years she waits. No children. I've got a solution, she says. Lord, it's been 10 years. I'm not getting any younger. Clearly, you're not going to fulfill your promise. So I have a plan that will accomplish your promise without me having to wait any longer. Verse 15. Move there forward to verse 15. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Now go to Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. Now when Abram was 99 years old, so we're 13 years later now. 13 years later, the Lord appears to Abram, who's now 99. Look at verse 15 in chapter 17. God said to Abram, as far as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and indeed, I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. So 13 years later, the Lord appears to Abraham, who's now 99. Sarah's 90. He reestablishes the promise that Ishmael, born of the maidservant Hagar, would not be the heir that God had promised, but one who would come from Sarah's womb. Notice the laughter of Abraham in verse 17. And God's patient response to Abraham's suggestion that Ishmael, Ishmael should be the promised seed. Here again. Okay, I know, Eliezer, you didn't like that idea. But then you did give me a son through my maidservant. How about Ishmael? Let's get this show on the road. I'm a century old now. What do you think, God? This should work. Genesis 18, verse 1. Now the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, 
while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. And when he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and, and bowed himself to the earth and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a piece of bread and you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may go on since you have visited your servant. And they said, So do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it, and make bread cakes. Abraham also ran to the herd, took a tender and choice calf, and gave it to the servant. He hurried to prepare it. He took curds and milk and the calf, which he had prepared, and placed it before them. He was standing by them under the tree as they ate. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, There in the tent. He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah is listening at the tent door, which was behind him. And now Abraham and Sarah were old. He wants to remind us once again, these are not 20-year-olds. These are octogenarians or centurions, if you will. They're advanced in age, is how the Bible puts it. Sarah was past childbearing. Any of you women think 90 is past childbearing age? Okay, just check it. Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh saying, shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Verse 14, is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it, however, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. You did laugh. Noticed here, where was Sarah's faith, the critics would ask. Where's her faith? Why should she be included in this list of people who are seen as ones who had faith in the promises of God when she didn't trust God at his word concerning the birth of a child to her? Well, my friends, we couldn't we ask the same question about Abraham? And if we really want to be truthful here, which I hope we are, couldn't we say that about every single person we're going to mention in Hebrews chapter 11? I mean, none of these people are without sin or with doubts in their lives. The purpose of the Holy Spirit in our text is to show that they did have faith when it counted. And that despite the trials and the tribulations and despite the distress and the doubts, when push came to shove, they never lost their faith. Never. That faith showed itself in obedience as God enabled them to believe. Remember, it is really God's faithfulness to his promises that he fulfills. We receive those promises by faith. Our faith is rooted in God's faithfulness, not your faithfulness, my friends. God's faithfulness to his promises. He cannot deny himself. He cannot lie. He cannot act contrary to his nature. And his very nature is truth and righteousness, and justice. He cannot act contrary to that. It is impossible for God to do it. He will not do it. 
Sarah must be seen as one who had faith when it counted. Otherwise, Isaac, my friends, would never have been born. She is a sharer in the promise with Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. Now, fast forward one year later, finally, to Genesis chapter 21. We see here in verses one, at verse 1, Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and, and did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived for a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him. One more time, just want to make sure everybody gets it. Isaac or Isaac. That name in the Hebrew literally means he laughs. He laughs. This same woman who one year prior laughed under her breath in disbelief now laughs out loud with utter belief as the promises of God were fulfilled. Look at verse 6. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. My friends, this is how it is often with you and me, isn't it? We lose hope in the faithfulness of God's promises because we don't see the desired revolt, revolt, result we're looking for. We do this all the time. We wonder when God will deliver or heal or meet the desire that we so desperately want. We get anxious. We get nervous. We lose sleep. Sometimes we give up on hope altogether. And with Sarah, we wonder how it's possible for a thing to even happen. But by faith, we're told to trust God and trust that he will be faithful to his promises, even if we don't see the results right away. God is not some genie in a bottle. You just get to put your desires out there and then rub the bottle, then God responds to whatever you think it is that you need. That would make you God and him your servant. And my friends, that will never be. He is God and he is sovereign and he always moves in his perfect time. Not your perfect time. His perfect time. And his time is always perfect. And yet, my friends, in God's perfect timing, we find that all things are possible with God. And then we rejoice, don't we? When God moves in his perfect time and we waited and we waited and we waited and then he moves, we think, what a great God. His timing was perfect. I learned so much. This is what we see here in Sarah's life. At any time, God could have opened Sarah's womb, and yet he waits until it seems impossible for her to have children naturally. And then he faithfully comes through just as he said he would. But here's the thing, my friends. God desires that we remain faithful even if we never see the desired result. That's the hard part. Because persevering faith remains in God's promises even during seasons of doubt. How do we remain faithful in the present even when we have doubts? 
We remain faithful in the present because of our confidence in what God will do in the future. What is that? That he'll fulfill his promise. That's how Abraham and Sarah lived their lives. That is how we are to live our lives as well. Let me give you an example of what that looks like in real life. And I can think of no better example than the life of George Mueller. George Mueller of Bristol exemplified that day-to-day, living it out, plodding along, living by faith. He was kind of a wild youth. He was converted in his early 20s. He obeyed God's call by living a life of faith and obedience each day. Matter of fact, he lived a life that most of us can't even fathom, to tell you the truth. He and his wife sold all of their earthly possessions. Oh, got your attention there. Found in an orphanage and lived by faith alone. Making their needs and those of the orphan known only to God in prayer. Never asked anybody for help. Never advertised it. Didn't get on social media. They often faced insurmountable problems that were overcome by faith in God's prayer. In 1877, George was on a ship that was stalled off the coast of Newfoundland in a dense fog. The captain had been on the bridge for 24 hours when Mueller came to see him. And Mueller told him that he had to be in Quebec by Saturday afternoon. And the captain replied, it is impossible. Very well, said Mueller. If your ship cannot take me, God will find some other way. I've never broken an engagement in 52 years. Let's go to the chart room and pray. The captain wondered what kind of lunatic asylum Mueller had escaped from. Mr. Mueller, he said, do you know how dense this fog is? No. My eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of life, was Mueller's response. And he knelt down and he prayed. And when he had finished, the captain was about to pray, but Mueller put his hand on his shoulder and told him not to. He said, first, you do not believe he will. And second, I believe he already has. And there's no need for you to pray at all. The captain looked at Mueller in amazement. Captain, he continued, I have known my Lord for 52 years. There's never been a single day that I have failed to get an audience with the king. Get up, Captain. Open the door. You will find the fog is gone. The captain walked across to the door and opened it, and the fog had lifted. Persevering faith remains in God's promises even during seasons of doubt. How do we remain faithful in the present? Even when we have doubts, we remain faithful in the present because our confidence in what God will do in the future. All right. Listen quickly, we're almost out of time. Verse 12. Point number two. For those who persevere, the greatest fulfillment of God's promises are often spiritual instead of physical. One more time. For those who persevere, the greatest fulfillment of God's promises are often spiritual instead of physical. Physically speaking, look at, uh, look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 12. Let's read that together quickly. Therefore, there was born even of one man and him as good as dead. At that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. 
for those, okay, so physically speaking, Abraham and Sarah are dead in the sense that they're unable to give childbirth naturally, or so it would seem. And yet, what do we see with God time and time again where he brings out of death, he brings forth life? Turn to Ephesians 2 quickly, if you would. Ephesians 2, verse 1. Just a couple of books back here. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you, he says, speaking to the Ephesians, you, believers, were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us what? Alive together with Christ. That word in the Greek for dead is nekros, which means corpse. That's the word that Paul uses, nekros. Spiritually speaking, before salvation, we were walking corpses. Spiritually. We were the original walking dead, if you will, spiritually speaking. John MacArthur writes this, Praise God for the resurrection power of our Lord and Savior, and praise God for the life-giving ability he gave to Abraham and Sarah, through whom our Lord Jesus, who would ultimately be born in this world, the seed of the woman. Who are all these innumerable descendants, incidentally? Therefore, the covenant God would made with Abraham in Genesis. There are physical descendants and there are spiritual descendants. The physical descendants of Abraham are those descendants of Jacob, right? Who are Israel. Just as true is the fact that not all physical descendants have faith in the promises of God. And yet we know both Jew and Gentile who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are the children of Abraham. Galatians 3, 7 tells us, understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. Verse 8, the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. <coughs> so those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. That's Galatians 3, 7 through 9. And so we see that God is faithful to his promises as he made, as he fulfills his promises physically, and spiritually, and yet for all the promises that are fulfilled in the saints of old, the greatest of promises was still unseen and yet future, and that was Christ. And yet they remain faithful to live by faith, looking forward to this promise. My friends, what did Abraham and Sarah get in this life for their life of faith? What did they get? They were uprooted from family and friends, never to see them again. If they owned any kind of dwelling in Ur or Haran, that was gone. They lived the rest of their life in tents, moving from place to place. Abraham lived to see Isaac, the son of promise born. He lived 15 years after the birth of Jacob. He didn't see any of Jacob's sons. He did not live long enough to even get a hint of the fulfillments of God's promises to multiply his descendants as the stars of the sand. The only piece of Canaan that he owned was a burial plot. And yet 
Our next verse, verse 13, tells us what? He died in faith without receiving those promises. He died in faith. As we've already seen, Abraham's faith was focused on eternity, not in this life only. And one of the most important applications from this text is that God's time is not our time. Can you say that with me? God's time is not our time. Abraham's time frame, even though he lived for 175 years, if you just looked at what God had promised and what was fulfilled in his 175 years of life, you'd say, well, God, God failed. His promises failed. He died with one son, two grandsons, hardly what you'd call an innumerable, you know, innumerable nation. But from God's time frame, the physical descendants and the spiritual descendants through Christ number in the billions. From our limited time frame, certain events don't fit with God's promises, but from his perfect time frame, he who promised is faithful. My friend, persevering faith remains in God's promises even during seasons of doubt. How do we remain faithful now in the present even when we have doubts? We do that by keeping our eyes on the future. For those who persevere, you must remember that oftentimes God's fulfillment is not just the physical thing that you're worried about. Lord, please take away this ache and pain. Lord, please help me financially. Uh, Lord, you know, I stubbed my toe. Lord, I, whatever that is physically. Oftentimes what happens is the Lord says, yeah, yeah, I'm using that in your life. But here's what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned that every day you are more and more conformed to the image of my son. That's what I'm concerned about because I'm preparing you for eternity and you're worried about your big toe. Oftentimes, God's fulfillment is not the thing that we think is most important. Now, I'm making light of physical things. Some of you have some very serious physical things that you're working through, and it is a challenge. It's not my intent. My intent is to remind you that God's ultimate purpose is your eternal soul and its destination. Ultimately, that's what he's working on. I wish I could tell you story after story about my life of how I've trusted God like George Mueller. But the truth is that more often than not, my life has been marked by disappointments and doubts and numerous incidents where I've taken matters in my own hands to speed up God's God's timetable for what I desired. Oftentimes it was because I was so focused on what God was not doing physically for me that I completely missed what he was doing spiritually for me the entire time. How did Abraham and Sarah remain faithful even during times of disappointment and doubt? They focused, they lived in the present by focusing on the future and God's promises. How do we remain faithful in the present even when we have doubts? By focusing and having confidence in God's promises for the future the same way. Our God is faithful and we, like Sarah and Abraham, persevere in our faith because we the confidence we have in the one who made the promises to us. I trust you have persevering faith, my friends, because that's the only kind that God delivers. True faith, saving faith, persevering faith. That doesn't mean we won't have disappointments. That doesn't mean we won't have doubts along the way. But it does mean that true believers will always persevere, trusting in God who made the promises. Let's pray. Father God, thank you, Lord, again.
for your word, the challenge from your word. Lord, there are many in our midst today, Lord, who have real struggles. Some are emotional. Some are in relationships. Some are physical. Some, Lord, are medical. Lord, help them. Help them to persevere. May they look to you and trust in you and your promises, Lord. Confident in the fulfillment of those promises and live each day with the assurance of hope. Lord, that's why you give us these examples, to remind us that that is what you've called us to do, to trust, to believe, and to live by faith. Lord, help them. We struggle now with your assurance of faith. In Christ's name we pray.